I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter. I use Hip Hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I drove to the fifth element. I highlight the fifth element of Hip Hop, which is knowledge. And welcome to Hating on Pusha T. We're gonna hate on Pusha T. We hate Pusha T on this podcast. We, we, hate, him. we, we hate Pusha T for this one. We're gonna fucking shit on Pusha T for a whole hour. We're doing a drink <laughs> retrospective. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, give me. I would I, honestly. The funny thing is, is that I would I I could I would only do a drink retrospective if someone gave me a bag to do it. But I would do it completely not seriously at all and just completely just make whoever whoever gave me that money regret it. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What's been this week? Yeah, this week has been shit, but I did listen to some music. We got into Del Nelson's new album, um, and I freaking love it. I don't know what else to say that I haven't said already about Del Nelson. Like, he's a mix lyrically and just like vocally, I think, between Earl and Denzel Curry. I think lyrically, there's emotion, there's power, there's motifs, there's conceptual songs. It's fascinating to understand and like listen to his perspective on the world. And I mean, he's a poet first. You know, he began writing poetry and dropping poems. So he's bringing that kind of energy into this music. And it's on top of some great production. I'm, I haven't spoken to him about where he got these beats from, but you know, this sounds top tier. This is as good as you're going to hear in the underground right now. And the production values are great. You know, the, the mixing is great. The mastering is great. It doesn't sound, it doesn't annoy me. I'm not listening to it and being like, this sounds like it was recorded in a, a closet. It sounds clear. It's perfect. And Dell is just unbelievable on top of this. Just like stomping. And some of these, like some of the emotion and some of the concepts he's dealing with on here are really deep and powerful. And he just delivers them with passion and energy. And oh, look, I can't say anything more than, I think this is a brilliant freaking project. And you know, I remember talking to Dell a long time. I've been talking to Dell for like five years, four years. And I never knew that he had this ability. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I talk to lots of people and, and talk to them about their music. And no one's ever come to me like the finished product. Dell, when he first dropped his first song, I heard it. I'm like, yeah, this is freaking brilliant. This is ready to rock. This is... This could be. This could blow up. This could actually get a lot of people listening to it. And every song on here is just quality. And... Yeah, man, I, I fully recommend people go check that that project out. It's everything I expected of it. He's got all the tracks that he's already dropped previously. Um, Life is Death, Drinks, there's a couple others on there. And they're all brilliant. They all sit really well within the album. I, I'm not sure that he was actually trying to create an album when he was doing those songs. I think he was kind of just doing one-offs. But it's almost like he's built the album around those tracks. And uh, oh, man, this, is, this is brilliant. So shout out, Dell. I, I recommend people check that out. Youngboy dropped a 33-song album, I think, called Don't Try This At Home. It's it's a slog to get through, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot less pop rap and like guitar, acoustic guitar beats on this record. Um, but it does get a bit repetitive towards the 20-track mark, and then you're just kind of like, oof, we've got another 13 to go. Um, but again, you know, it's Youngboy. You can put it on in the background if you really like Youngboy. If, if that's your vibe, then... 
I think you'll be fine. So I think it's a little bit better than his most his previous record. Uh, I can't even remember what one that was. I think he's dropped like three already this year. Was, I'm running out of I don't know. I just there's so many projects. It's insane. Uh, PZ dropped Ghetto uh, Bangers, 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 Bangers. Enjoyed it. Crazy Bone dropped Quick Fix Level Three. Wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I've not really ever tapped in with Crazy Bone. It's interesting, you know. There's a lot of melodic tracks on here, as you would expect. Um, a lot of vibe-focused songs, a lot of energy-focused songs. Interesting perspectives on the world and and the current landscape of hip hop and just society in general. Uh, it's always interesting to hear someone like Crazy Bone, hip hop legend, uh, just talk about the state of the game. So on that level, I enjoyed it for sure. Uh, Red Veil dropped playing with fire, and yeah, man, again, Red Veil is very, very consistent. I feel like he's now starting to really develop his sound and like look at what direction he wants to go in. Obviously, on his first two projects, uh, he had quite a distinctive sound or quite a uh, uh, unique sound. And then I think he's going to, I guess, figure out where to go next artistically. I don't see him as an artist who... He doesn't sound like someone who's just going to keep making the same album over and over again and trying to perfect that or make tiny little tweaks here and there. It feels to me like he's now, you know heading out in different directions and seeing what fits and uh i would urge people during this period and i don't know if this is going to happen or not but if it does if he does start going into directions you're not comfortable with i would say just stick with him because it'll just be fascinating i, I just think he's going to try his hand at a lot of different things obviously he's producing he produced every track except one on this project so that's going to develop as well and that's something that he needs to you know, spread his wings on and, and see like, well, can I produce this kind of beat? And what do I sound like on that? So even if you're hearing it and being like, oh, this is too poppy or this is too trappy or whatever, you know, I, I reckon stick with him because he's, I think he's a genius. So yeah, this is good. This is a good little EP. Um, recommend that. Always recommend Red Veil. Vale. Uh, Genesis and Alchemist dropped No Idols. Alchemist Pro is just like, does not stop does not stop and this is consistent you know I'm, I'm not the biggest domo genesis fan i haven't sat down with any of his projects and really dissected them and and sat with them but i listen to this and yeah it's good alchemist i don't think alchemist carries there's some wild wild tracks on here space goes perp i think pops up on a song which is like the biggest 2012 throwback ever action bronson Earl and Vince on a song, I think it was. That was insane. This, the features are pretty cool, to be honest. And yeah, man, Doma Genesis is great. Like I've again, as I say, I haven't tapped in with him, but I have no no issue whatsoever. I I enjoyed it. I think he's a vibrant lyricist. He's an interesting personality. I certainly found it more interesting than I found the Larry June tape. That's for sure. Uh, Lloyd Banks, Course of the Inevitable Three. Um, I mean, Lloyd Banks's late career renaissance is one of my favorite arcs in hip hop right now. Like, I just freaking love this man. I love, I loved him back in two thousand two, two thousand and three. I, I thought that, you know, I was really, I thought he was the one, man. I thought he was gonna blow up. I thought that the two thousands would see. I thought Jewels was the same. You know, I thought I saw him and Jewels as very similar. I thought that they were both very adept lyricists. But they could hop on pop rap tra tracks and like easily, easily do that. That was comfortable territory for them. But obviously, Lloyd Banks has gone a completely different direction now. He's right settled into the underground. Uh, Method Man's on here. Uh, that was great. Um, 38 Specials on here. That was great. Uh, Dave East, I think, was on here. 
Dave East and Lloyd Banks really interesting because, you know, we talk about, we don't talk about rappers changing their vocal tone up that much, but Lloyd Banks is like a caricature of himself. You know, his vocals now are a caricature of what his vocals were back in 2004, 2005. And Dave East is heading in that direction too. Styles P is very similar to that. If you listen to like real early Styles P and you listen to Styles P now, it's far more nasally now. And Dave East is going in that direction. I can feel him like his voice is just, I love it. I really do. I really enjoy it. Um, I like it how rappers are continuing to develop their voice as their career progresses. And Lloyd Banks is firmly in that category. He has such a distinctive vocal tone now. It's like, you know, back then, yeah, he sounded distinct, but you wouldn't be like, oh, Lloyd Banks sounds like no one else. Now he sounds like absolutely no one else. And it's already an overpopulated underground. So in order to set yourself apart, even though he has all this success already, you do have to bring something interesting. And I think on a very basic level, at least his vocal tone is, is freaking interesting. And the concepts and the things he's dealing with on this record are very deep. Uh, they're very potent. They're very affecting. Uh, yeah, man, I, just, I like hearing what he has to say. You know, And Tony Ayo pops up on here too. Shout out Tony Ayo. He dropped, uh, I keep going back to that album that he dropped this year. Uh, I thought it was brilliant, man. G-Unit alumni are killing it at the moment. So shout, out, shout out to G-Unit. Shout out to, to 50 Cent. Um, G-Unit. Yeah, man. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, we got some good stuff this week. A um, few EPs, a couple of albums. Well, one album. <laughs> and also a live show, which I will uh, talk about as well at the end. Um, <clears throat> Starting for the Red Veil playing with fire. Um, pretty much echoing Ben's sentiments. Um just keep just listen to Red Veil. Like it's, it's, it's the most. Um, it's probably one of the easiest just recommendations to make in terms of like oh, if someone asked you like, what's some contemporary hip hop I could spin? Literally, just Red Veil's right up there. Like it's production solid, lyrics are solid. They they're, they're replayable. They stick to you. Um, and it was just, yeah, it's just he's just solid. He he hasn't really missed so far, um, and this EP is no different. It's just five uh, six tracks, um, so it's not too not too uh, uh, time consuming. Uh, Black enough with JPEG Matthew was really interesting. I loved Gift Bag uh, and PWF as well. Those are some good shit right there. Um, but yeah, man, just definitely um, definitely one for the EP lists uh, um, at the end of the year um, if people are inclined. Uh, Kid Abstract and Leo Lopas, uh, believe. Love me some Kid Abstract. Um, have uh, also has a phonics on the end here with her on point. Uh, but yeah, it's four tracks. Um, and uh, it's pretty solid. It's uh, kind of just that chill hip hop. If you've listened to Kid Abstract before, you know what he's about. Uh, one of my favorite rappers, um, conceptually, and in terms of just uh, quote unquote vibes. Um, but yeah, man, absolutely outstanding. And a uh, friend of 5e, or friend of the universe anyway, Del Nelson, uh, with Charlotte's unfortunate death. Um, that was, uh, again, echoing Ben's sentiments because he kind of uh, went in on just the praise. So I uh, can't really say too much different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is very interesting watching someone who's just who just died out just, you know, posting poems on Twitter. DM both of us at uh, uh, several points over time. Ben interviewing him, me putting him off for 30 questions as well. Um, 
And what I gather from those 30 questions that you guys can listen to over at What's Good if you want, uh, link, in the, link in the description, and just type up 30 questions, um, is that he's so young, but his answers were so fascinating um, and just really level-headed. Yeah. And, uh, and, I th- and I'm glad that he's creatively um, not being him, right? Something that kind of like threw me off uh, I forget which track it was specifically, but he was like saying the N word a lot, and I forget if he said what's his least if it's his least favorite word, um, but he just doesn't say it in regular life. So I do find it cool that he can come out of his personal hangups or whatever, or uh, and just actually dive into the creativity and dive into the persona that he's building right now. Um, so much respect there. And, uh, you know, just, just just decent tunes as well. You know what I mean? It's not really, it's not um, spoken word or anything like that. It's just, you know, just straight up hip hop tunes. Um, like Ben said, really good beats. Decent production here. Love P's and Q's. Love Life is Death. Uh, Flowers in Gaston. The Science Prince. Good stuff here. Really good stuff here. Um, and uh, worthy worthy of your everyone's spin. Uh, Lastly, on the listening front, uh, Alpha Mist, one of my favorite jazz musicians right now, comes through with another one. Uh, this one's Variables. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, back. I'd, I wasn't too into bring backs when I spun it um, initially a couple of years ago. Um, it's fine. It's just, um, it was just, I don't know, it just didn't, just didn't hit me. Um, but literally everything else that he's dropped from nocturne onwards um i love structuralism i love on my ones he did the epoch uh, which is a remaster of a project he did with mv one of my favorites of that year um and this one you know is i think it's back to form for me personally obviously people love bringbacks as well but uh this is much more up my alley um i love his bars on borderline having kaya thomas dyke do uh, his, which is his uh i think bassist in the band uh, his live shows um she had her, her vocals just fit so nicely with with the music like she's she's done it before falling is my probably my favorite alpha miss track and that was from structuralism and uh, aged eyes on here is just another one it's just another top tier just soft tune and she's just skating all over it it's just outstanding it's so beautiful um the rest of the album comes through like a wash to me honestly um in a good way just uh it just all washes over me i was listening to it and just the sequencing it was just buttery smooth it was just a really beautiful album to listen to um a light mixture of a uh, little bit of vocals here and there by aforementioned kai thomas dyke also uh if i can read this and not bottle it uh bong ziwei uh mabandla that was, att- was a good attempt. And uh, yeah, just end on C Alpha Mist and drop us some bars as well, which he likes to do now and again. I wish he'd do it more often, to be fair. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyable album if you're a, if you're a jazz head in any, fas- any fashion. Um, and for those UK jazz heads, you know what's up, of course. Uh, I think it's across the tracks next uh, next month, uh, which I'm going to. So uh, yeah, get to <laughs> see Alpha Mist once again live. Can't wait. And uh, lastly, 
as a live review, um, Shay Lingo is Shay Lingo, by the way, and Shay Noir as as well. We've we've been trying to wonder uh, over the years of just like, is it Shay? Is it Shay? It's Shay for both, as I've uh, uh, reasonably gathered now. Um, but yeah, Shay Lingo, um, who was headlining at Lafayette, uh, which is basically just behind King's Cross, fundamentally. Um, and uh, as the show itself, um, it was outstanding. Um, he said that it was four years since he did a you know quite quite headline show, um, and it showed. It showed uh, that dude had so much pen up energy. Um, was practically nearly brought to tears at most points of just how responsive everybody was for him and obviously if you've listened to his music you know there's some depth there there's some genuine depth in there go to his um, re- most recent album to you know understand and all of his stuff to be honest um he he did low keyed uh, the track from the recent album four times uh <laughs> that was that was very good wheeled that up a few times um did my favorites uh my uh on my block <coughs> or my block and uh, uh i think it's like uh broken ones i think if i remember the title correctly um black ones sorry black ones on my feet that's it yeah black ones and uh that, those were outstanding I, I was uh dapped him up a couple of times i was right at the front so i got to dap him up a couple of times with his sweaty ass hand that was fun um <laughs> man it was just outstanding uh, minor gripes um, is a it was like it was a small stage Lafayette. It's a very small stage. Just a it's a it's a, it's, it's a, well. There's no point giving comparisons because I don't know if you guys have been to the, like stuff like Jazz Cafe, so it doesn't really matter. But it's small, right? It's a small stage. Um, it's a very nice area. Um, it's a very nice spot. Um, but why do you have two videographers <laughs> just in my way constantly? There's always one of them in my way. I'm just like, move, bruv. Like this is it's, it's it's wild. And also I had a photographer there as well, which is just, which is uh, there was one point where they were just literally just tripping over each other, just trying to get shots. I'm just like, you guys are distracting as fuck, man! <laughs> like go away. It was crazy. But um, minor gripe I'll throw in there before we begin. Um, I, I, I while I do like Lafayette aesthetically, um, and the lighting was uh, very good uh, for the show itself. Uh, they didn't allow my camera in. And as you guys know from my previous rant-ins uh, for the O2, uh, well, the myriad of O2 venues, uh, in my case, it was uh, the something in Birmingham and also the Brixton Academy. Um, didn't allow my camera in. Um, so they are blacklisted in my mind. Fuck them uh, for doing that. Uh, and I'm still waiting on a concrete answer as to why I can't bring my camera through Uh Whereas everybody can film literally, potentially, the entire thing on their phone. Um, is it a matter of exclusivity? I don't know. Um, someone had a disposable camera there, so how does that how does that fit in? Which is a new quite new wrinkle in this for me. You know, I want to barter with like the security people when they say it to me, and they don't know the answer. They they don't. You know what I mean? So I don't. So it's a, it's a, it's a question I can't fucking get an answer to. Um, but for now um is uh is not is no to Lafayette for me personally um until further notice um because this is it's just it's a, it's a little bit silly it's it's uh, it's, it's kind of silly having everyone with their phones out and stuff like that and then I can't get my camera in this is it doesn't make sense there's no logic to it 
um, and nobody can give me logical answer. But if you guys do, please email me, <laughs> tweet me, wherever you can find me, and let me know. I would generally want to know why uh, some venues, and this is a thing, some venues, not all venues, don't allow cameras. It doesn't make sense. No logic to it. Anyway, that's rant out the way, and we shall get to our topic for this episode. Uh, which is a retrospective on Jim Jones, who Ooh. has been making some making some headlines recently, and has caused Ben to force me to listen to his catalogue. And what a week it has been for me personally. I'll tell you what, it um, was tough. Get... I had to fly to England. I had to beat <laughs> the shit out of Charlie. I like held him down and like played his music over and over again. Charlie was crying. It was it was really intense, but. We got, we got to it. it. Got it done, you know. Yeah, got it. We got we got there in the end. I got there kicking and screaming. Um, but we got there, and uh, yeah. So we're actually doing this peel off the back of him, obviously, uh, recently saying uh, Pusha T isn't top fifty all time, which is a question that I don't think people actually answered properly. I don't um, think anyone was asking I, that I, question. I, I just don't. I just don't participate in these kind of things because. There's too many. There's, there's too. There's too many. Even even from what we've like, you know, retrospectively done. There's so. If you told me my top, if you asked me for my top fifty like four years ago before we did the show, it'd be drastically different from what it is now. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I if you want me to do one, let me. You know, I would do one, but I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not trying. I'm not. It'll be purely subjective. I there's no point trying to do an objective list of that kind of thing. Um. But yet. Big up Rap Caviar uh, with Jinx to give Jim Jones, of all people, a platform to say that Pusha T wasn't top 50. But that's not what we're here for. We're here for Jim Jones as an artist, as a solo artist. Does it stand up? Does it stand up to scrutiny um, when it's flipped back on him? We shall see. Ben, what have you got for us today? Well, I mean, look, he's been very forward with his opinions recently. And... Yeah, I think it was unprompted, the Pusha T derision. I think it was ridiculous. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, Pusha T has not done enough outside of the Coke talk. So I read the quote that Jim Jones said, what has he done that puts him in the greatest rappers of all time besides talk about Coke that he probably didn't get himself? Now, in the same interview, Jim Jones claimed that Youngboy is a better rapper than Pusha T. And he said, Big Sean is far more deserving of a top 50 spot. Right. There we go. There it is. That was that was funny to me because I didn't know. There's a bigger Big Sean fan than me, guys. It's Jim Jones. <laughs> it's Big Sean, Jim Jones, and Charlie. Those are the top three Big Sean fans. Bro, this man is putting Big Sean above Pusha T. Anyway, anyway. Now, Jim Jones is actually a huge part of the Kokrak comeback in hip-hop. Uh, which is being led by the main in the mainstream, sorry, by King Push himself, and through the underground by you know Griselda, for example. Now he devoted twenty eight. Jim Jones devoted twenty eight percent of his lyrics on his twenty nineteen album El Capo to the white stuff, and Pusha T dropped a toner in twenty eighteen, which devoted twenty three percent of the lyrical content to the same topic. Now in the same in the interview with Rap Caviar about Pusha T, Jones also said this. He said. I don't know too many people in this game that was leaning towards being Pusha T. Pusha T holds no weight out here. He's not pushing no shit around out here. Cam Rowan before Pusha T. So the reason I'm focusing on this, right, 
is because I, I want to see where this is coming from. I, I was curious because I know about Jim Jones' backstory a little bit. And I was like, where, why is he saying this? How is, why is he feeling this way? Now, if we're talking lyrical skills, Jim Jones is not coming close to Pusha T's level. If we're talking influence, maybe. But again, Jim Jones' influence has genuinely been outside of hip-hop. Like, it's been in hip-hop, but not with regards to the music. History does back Jim Jones up that he has been influential. Um, you know, we're not here to debate who's more influential between Kim, King Push and Jim Jones, because I think that's reductive. But it is interesting to see... Because when it comes to the music, I don't think Jim Jones can really be saying stuff to Pusha T about it because he's a pop rapper. He makes pop rap. But anyway, we'll get to that. But it did. This whole conversation sparked a lot of motivation in me to go and grab the key points of Jim Jones's story and present them. Um, you know, he and Joel Santana were the first two rappers to really start rapping Supreme back in the early early two thousands. They got paid fourteen thousand dollars back before anyone was wearing the low effort, high priced fashion label. And because Dipset was such a movement encompassing rap, fashion, cars, women, just about everything you could imagine during the 2000s, he helped push Supreme into mainstream ubiquity. Jim Jones even told an interviewer in 2018 that Supreme owes them a percentage of ownership for their service. So if you're seeing Supreme everywhere, which you were three, four, five years ago, you can trace that lineage all the way back to Jim Jones. And whilst Cameron was driving around in a pink Range Rover and Joel Santana was wearing quadruple XL jean jackets with the American flag plastered all over it, Jim Jones decided to go in a different direction. Uh, he actually inadvertently sparked the future success of the True Religion brand. And that partnership turned sour when Jim Jones reached out to them for compensation for all the free press he was giving them, only for them to curve him and offer to send him free clothing in lieu of actual payment, which he was pissed off at and he actually didn't wear them after that. Jones has also claimed in a complex interview that he started trends around dark shades, designer scarves, and B.B. Simmons belts. You can't claim sunglasses. What do you mean? Jim Jones claiming it, bro. Dark shades. I mean, look, Will I Am claimed that he... Will I Am said he won the election for Obama in 2008. Like, (laughs) you claim what you want, bro. You claim what you want. Jim Jones is claiming dark shades. He's, He's put that on his resume, so... During the song We Set the Trends with Migos in 2021, he also took credit for the popularization of Chrome Hearts. Now, none of that is related to his rapping ability, mind you, which is where he felt the need to comment when it came to Pusha T. Jim Jones didn't come into the game as a rapper, though. In fact, the conversation around his solo career back when I was a teenager and hanging out in random hip-hop forums was that Jim Jones was not actually a rapper, but he rapped because he was next to Cam. Now, there's truth to this, and it's possible Jim Jones would never have even attempted to rhyme had he not met Cameron, or had Cameron chosen basketball instead of rap as his vocation, but he did meet Cameron. And that was not until his story had already begun to develop. So Jim Jones was actually born in the Bronx. He told Flip the Script this year in an interview, whilst uh, he was born in the Bronx, he was raised in Harlem. He said his formative years were all in Harlem, Uh, Jim moved in with his grandmother in Harlem and began his education when he was very, very young. He told that podcast he was moved around a lot as a kid. His mother was quite young when she had him and his father stayed in the Bronx. And Jim said from the age of 13 up to the age of 26, he didn't actually see his father at all, even though his father was around. Um, His mother was always part of his life. She taught him how to ride the train by himself at nine years old. 
And he credits that as a truly formative experience because it gave him the freedom and confidence to start moving around the city freely. Wherever Jim went, though, he was always surrounded by family. When he moved to Harlem and began to situate himself there, he ran with his uncle Ricky, someone who had an intimate knowledge of the environment Jim was now trying to navigate. When he gravitated back towards his mother, she helped him out too. He told Flip the script that her boyfriend at the time was the plug and it became a family affair what they were doing together. And it was funny kind of juxtaposing this interview with the No no Jumper interview that Jim did with Joelle's. Now, both interviewers were pushy about Jim Jones's past, and you know what I mean when I say that. Joelle's was far more open to talking about it. Whenever Adam22 called them drug dealers, for example, Jim would always say allegedly, whilst Joelle's would kind of run off into the distance with the topic, happy to discuss it. Jim was very cagey. He was more open on Flip the Script, but I just found it such an odd line of questioning, really. Like, you know, it is interesting to get a sense of his early connections, I guess, and recognizing that the lifestyle he spoke about in his bars was one that he was embroiled in from all angles, you know, mother, father, uncles, friends. Um, he told Flip the script that her his mother's boyfriend used to <clears throat> break the firing pins off guns and give them for him to play with, something Jim describes as being from a different era. Uh, he also describes going to school with 12-year-olds who were making so much money they were bought themselves a Volkswagen Rabbit GTI and drove themselves around in it. So the stories are interesting, but the way that both those interviewers, especially Adam22, like pushed that angle and really honed in on it. Jim Jones clearly was not interested in talking about it on that interview, so I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm not sure that that's, that's the direction that he really wants to talk about. But the first Dipset member that he met was actually... <coughs> excuse me, Freak Ziki, back in uh, fourth grade. And in fact, they both ended up getting kicked out of high school on the exact same day, um, which is pretty cool. And, you know, they, they had some shared interests, so they had a bit of an affinity for each other. And then Jim next met Cam at age 13. So Cam moved in with his grandmother right into Jim Jones's orbit. And both of them love basketball. I don't know if people know this, but Cameron was an, well, I'm sure people know it. Cameron was an incredible basketball player. And they used to play at the rec center down the road. And Cam was so good that Jim Jones used to try and find people to go around and beat him on the court. And he and Cameron developed a really healthy competitive rivalry. Jim said they were competitive over everything in their lives. So after Jim Jones's mother passed, grandmother, sorry, passed away, Cam and Mace actually went to go live with him at his grandma's house. And the three of them forged a bond. Now Cam was the great hope of Harlem at the time. His basketball skills were legendary. But once he got signed, everyone in his vicinity realized he was next up. Jim Jones became Cam's everything. He told Flip the script he performed just about every role that Cam required, studio engineer, video director, head of security. Like if Cam needed something, then Jim Jones was right next to him helping him out with that thing. The Rucker story is of course super important in this. During an interview with Funk Flex back in 2017, Jim Jones opened up about that story and more occasions where he had to have Cam's back. Now at the Rucker, it's been alleged that a massive fight broke out and Cameron ran, leaving Jim Jones to fight 30 people by himself. He told Funk Flex at the time, he ended up on trial for shooting his gun also in order to protect Cam, saying it's lucky the trial got dismissed because of lack of evidence. So at the time, Cam and Mace were living in Jim Jones uh, and Mace got the chance to go rap for Puffy and we know how that went. Cam was running with DJ Clue and rapping on tracks with LOX. And of course, LOX then went and grabbed a bad boy deal as well. So it kind of felt like bad boy was circling around Jim Jones and Cameron. Now Lance Rivera, 
the dude that Jay-Z allegedly... Well, no, he, he, I think he, he pleaded out to it, but the, the, the whole stabbing incident with Jay-Z at the Kit Kat Club, um, he financed Biggie's early music career as well. Uh, he created a label called Entertainment. Now, people probably know about that. Mace, of course, was around Biggie. He introduced Cam to Lance Rivera, and Lance Rivera son, signed Cameron to Entertainment. Now, Jim Jones said that he always loved hip-hop. He was a student of it. But he didn't really think about rapping until Mace began to coach him in it. And there were a couple of people around him pushing the rap angle like really hard. Jim Jones said that there were some people around him who were like, this is it. This is the thing you should be focusing on. And it was kind of a natural progression. Jim just said he did everything for Cam. And when Cameron got the deal, he ensured that Jim Jones was involved musically. So the residual checks would keep coming. And, you know, considering Cam and Mace taught him to rap, it makes sense. I guess he would become successful. But yeah, that's how it happened. I mean, he didn't, it's a bit different to our normal origin stories where people have been rapping their whole life and writing poetry since the age of five. Like Jim Jones was not in that direction and then he just made a decision and we get his solo career out of that. We get his first project, On My Way to Church. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, when you look up Jim Jones on Wikipedia, <clears throat> there's some very fun um just uh alternatives um uh, obviously the main one is the cult leader of the people's temple uh for that collective suicide in 78 um but you have some american football people and you obviously have jim jones the rapper jim jones guitarist and also jim jones of botany bay which is apparently traditional australian folk ballad uh from the 1800s so there you go that's that there's that learn something every day so, on my way to church, there's some allegations I want to throw out here uh, throughout this episode when we get when we get to them uh, periodically, where I wonder what Jim Jones was like thinking at that point, or what he or artistically he wanted to do at that point, right? Because, like you said, it's ain't exactly the same background as. Uh, sweet tea, where like you know, it's just like I've been rapping since this, and I've been always. I was born to be a rapper. No, I feel like there was just some <sighs> trying to think of a better word for it. There's a word I'm thinking of. You know, it rhymes with mouth pacing, and it just uh, don't know, just 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 gives that gives off that vibe. Uh, when I listen to something like on my way to church, where I feel like there's some allegations I need to throw out, and that particular allegation is, uh, uh, Tupac? <laughs> Sounds like Tupac a bit, <laughs> when I listen to this, just a little bit, I'm just spinning it, and spinning it, I'm just like, ah, why, why does he sound a bit like Pac? It's just, it, it gives off the essence of Tupac, and obviously, this is 04, so, you know, this is kind of at the same time as uh, as a lot of uh, two-pack clones about, right? Jarrell obviously being a very easy example. Um, but obviously, uh, obviously um, Jarrell did it from more of a more of an aesthetic basis. You know, what I mean, he he was wearing similar kit to what we know Puck was wearing at the time, right? Jim Jones it obviously didn't dress 
like Tupac, and rightly so. Good for you. Um, because the fact that Ben's for most of that was talking about fashion <coughs> get, get, it reconfirmed a lot of things for me while I was listening to, <laughs> to not just this album, but all the albums as, as we go along. But this album in particular, it's, it's not the worst, but it certainly ain't the best. It's right down the middle. Um, you see all of the features, right? And you think, okay, this has possibilities, you know? Cameron, obviously. Bun B and T.I. on End of the Road. Now, that's another thing that I feel like, you know, should uh, Jim Jones should get a little bit of credit for, right? But put in uh, for, for working with the likes of Bun B and T.I. Obviously, uh, there was a time where... Um, the South wasn't getting uh, any respect from people uh, in the New York area. So the fact that he had Bumby and T.I. on something like End of the Road is respectable. Busy Bone, Chico de Bar, John Spanish Fly, Cameron and Jewels on crunk music. Yeah, there, there's, there's possibilities here. You look at it on paper and you're like, yeah, yeah, this could, this, this could work. And then you listen to it, and th- and then you listen to it, and you're just ah, just just going ah to it, because again, a lot of it sounds sound. sound uh, I need to be specific. Sounds literally just sound phonetically sounds like Tupac. Content wise, obviously not. Content wise, a little bit different, <coughs> but a lot of these songs just. Uh, just forgettable, really. Um, I listen to them, and I j- I just want to get to the next thing. To be honest, I just want to move the- move on from listening to it because it's just so. And it's an hour and ten minutes as well. It's just uh that's a that's a that's a thing. That's a recurring theme. Um, for the first few albums here, where they're just extremely bloated. There's one where he has the audacity to make a deluxe version of a album that's 76 minutes long, and I'm just like, wow. But yeah, man, this is just... I couldn't get the Tupac thing out of my head. I was just like, he sounds like Tupac. And I don't know whether he meant to do that, and I don't think he did, um, but <laughs> there's actually a funny bit. I forget which song, but he basically goes like uh, in the beginning, R.I.P. Biggie. And I'm just like, I just <laughs> it's, it's just funny to me. Cause it's funny to me that you sound like Tupac, but you're going R.I.P. Biggie. It's just, it's just funny, man. It's just funny. It's very interesting. Um, but yeah, past that, I just, it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it's not great. It's just, but simply not great. Not into it. Um, wasn't feeling it at all. The features actually didn't really carry at all. Um, anyway, uh, I feel like the features were relatively middling. Um, and just were just there to pad out the song. A lot of it's pretty much forgettable, put simply. So, yeah. For the two-pack allegations. Yeah, the two-pack allegation, um, that's an interesting one. I, I, uh, before I even started listening to this album, when you sent that, because I hadn't listened to it yet. Is this yet. the first time you listened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the first time I've listened oh, right, to okay. a lot of these albums, to be honest. Oh, okay. Good. Um, okay. Good. Yeah. We're learning, to, we're learning together. We're learning together. And I learned some stuff that I didn't expect to learn. But when you first sent that to me, I think because the first album was on Spotify, so I was listening to 
the second album I started with Spotify albums and you sent that through and I'm like wait what but I listened to it and I was like oh okay (laughs) that makes that makes perfect sense yeah this album is this album is interesting so Dipset had blown up Cam had signed a Rockefeller his career leapt into the stratosphere Jim Jones was still doing everything behind the scenes he even directed the oh boy video uh the music video and groups were obviously all the rage in the late 90s and early 2000s. G-Unit, LOX, Dipset, State Property. There was plenty of desire for mainstream spin-offs. So the solo albums came. I mean, I listened to the Nelly, uh, sorry, the Murphy Lee album the other day because I bought it. I'd never heard the Murphy Lee album before. The St. Lunatics, Solo, Hope, Murphy Lee. They were just everywhere, man. Solo albums from group artists were everywhere. So... Jewels dropped his first, then uh, On My Way to Church with Jim Jones, number 18 on the Billboard 200, 44K first weeks, pretty good. Uh, lead single Certified Gangsters, followed then by Crunk Music. The album was reviewed really well, and I think it's solid. You know, it's typical 2000s fair. I do feel, though, that the album coming out independently via Koch, I think they didn't expect this album to do that well. The beats do feel like C and D sides from the cutting room floor. By this stage, I felt like he'd already dropped two superior projects, writer music and ambitions of a gangster. So they, you know, you do have uh, like the two-part kind of thing there as well in those, you know, in his early stuff. Um, and I think they showcased a lot of the talent that Jim Jones had. I never felt like he was the star power and had the charisma to carry a mainstream album like Joel's and Cam. I felt like they were very different in that sense. I felt like Jim Jones was very metronomic with his flow. He was on point, but his voice on those early releases often got lost in the mix. And in fact, the mixing is pretty poor on both those early mixtapes. I think that just highlighted how secondary his solo career was initially seen as. Certified Gangsters and Crunk Music charted in the Hip Hop Singles chart, but really only thanks to the star power of Cam and Jewel's. I just think the album is hampered by Jim Jones's lack of conceptual dexterity, you know, something that follows him to this day. When he's rapping in his wheelhouse, he's immaculate, like during Crunk Music and the very revealing and emotional Lovely Days Memory Lane. I think those are great songs. But 21 tracks in 70 minutes is far too long, even with 18 features. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a lot of the Dame Dash story related to Kanye. When Kanye was ready to do his solo album, Dash waved the risk away and said, you know, even if it sucks, we can just put Beans and Bleak on every track and it would be passable. I feel like they did that preemptively with Jim Jones, and I think that hampered him a little bit. You know, I think they they did it just thinking this album was going to be trash, and I kind of think it boxed him into stereotypical mainstream rapper lanes, and I think that's where he's not at his best. But he certainly didn't give it up. I mean, <laughs> every subsequent album has become popular. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, does the quality get pop? Uh, does the quality go with it? That's the question. That is the question. Harlem Diary for Summer, 2005. Uh, mercifully shorter, hallelujah. Um, a little bit better in production, in my, in my opinion. But again, man, just again doesn't uh, didn't uh, didn't put down the my well, my my two pack uh, uh, allegations. Uh, still sounds like him. And again, features just. Just there, just didn't hit like too much. Like, I, I've, I, I, I'm, I've, I've never talked about Max B before, and I literally only know him because he was in jail, and people like free Max B. And all I'll say is, 
I'm I'm wondering what the hype was is slash is um because every time he is on a track with Jim Jones, uh I I don't like it <laughs> to put it lightly. Um so take that information how you will. Fun Pete Rock production on G's up. I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't care for this. I just don't care for these. I just don't. I just don't. I listen to them and they just wash over me. Uh I just I just tune out. I I don't I don't it don't there doesn't seem anything of of just of just anything of note for me. It just seems like if I'm going to listen to something from 2005 even even the uh that catered let's just say catered to the mainstream at that point I feel like there's just more options and I I don't I don't get it I don't get how the fuck is this charted to be completely real so I'm just like it's it's there there's some names on it but remove the names what you got Really, honestly, I just uh, the, these two albums just did not just I just didn't I just didn't get it. I just really didn't get it. I don't see is it honestly just because people understood Jim Jones to be a hard worker? Because that's all I'm getting at this point. He works fucking hard, and that's respectable. But the mute, but you can work hard with music all you like. It's 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 boo boo at this point. So what are we doing? <laughs> There's a lot of hard work for something that just did did not age well to you know as this is retrospective it did not age well no way in hell anybody's listened to this in 2023 but that's not what we that's not what we try and do here but it's true <laughs> and then i just i just think if i looked up albums popular albums popper more, more pop more mainstream hip-hop albums uh from 2005 i feel like i can just find some that did what this did but way better. I just feel, I don't make me don't make me do it. I'm gonna I will look it up if I have to, but I'm not. But Jesus Christ, yeah. I just don't know, man. Don't know, don't know, don't know. Just not to it. Not your favorite album in the world, then? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, by 2005, the Dipset flag was at full mast. Pause. Pause on that. That sounds really <laughs> diplomatic. Diplomatic Immunity was their bold double album and it just dropped the previous year and despite coming out independently via Kosh and despite their unceremonious exit Coke? from Coke. Yeah. No. Koch. Sure. Okay. Coke. I've heard, I don't... I've heard Coke. I've heard people say like that Coke. So. For real? Oh, oh, yeah, I'll defer to you. I need to look, up the Coke, up. look up the Coke brothers. <laughs> the Coke uh, they they call them the Coke brothers. And okay. I, I was like, oh right, Coke, C C C O K E, right? No, it's K O C H. America. Oh. I don't know. Talk after that. My apologies for mispronouncing that label name for 20, 20 straight years, but yeah, it's my fuck <laughs> up. Um. <laughs> is he even is he even going still? Like? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Very famous in the mid two thousands. They're kind of like Empire. They're like the the independent version. You know, like Empire was is independent now. Oh, got everyone. Okay. Uh, acqui- acqui- acquisitioned. Um. Okay. Wait. Wait. Pre- okay. Acquired by Entertainment One in two thousand five. E one. And then yep. acquired in an E one. Acquired by Hasbro. 
Yay! Didn't Hasbro make the Furby? Huh? I think Hasbro made the Furby. They made a lot of things. Um, And then Hasbro has been uh, with us. And then they sold E1 Music to Blackstone, uh, which is a private equity business um, that you guys can look up because that, that will lead to very... Uh, di- very different podcast. You should also look up what a Furby is, because <laughs> they're fucking sick. Sounds, and I it sounds weird when you don't know the context, though. Hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I did love my Furby. I loved you my loved Furby. Furby. Had yeah. a green Furby. Anyway, so Furby. I well, you tickle its little tummy. You know, you give him a little tickle in the tummy, and he likes that. You know. <laughs> Oh, That's Furbies, man. You guys are young. You're too young. You don't remember Furbies. <laughs> I remember Furbies. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. Do be, if people don't know Furbies, it's, it's interesting out of context. It sounds wild. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so whilst the dipset flag was at full mast, uh, Joel's went top 10 with what the game's been missing. Cam was about to drop killer season and hit number two on the Billboard 200, which is massive considering all the stuff that had happened with Rockefeller. And Jim Jones came back around with his second album, number five on the Billboard 200, 74K first week. Very positive reviews. It was led by the single Baby Girl featuring Max B, his highest charting solo song to date. Now, whilst I love the production, because it's mid-2000s, it is unlistenable for large stretches. Um, Let's just say, firstly, it's the only Jim Jones Spotify project that gives you the choice between explicit and clean. That's a mainstream artist play off rip uh, okay. yeah, yeah yeah how many you know you know what i mean like uh, can you imagine the jim jones of 96 saying yeah let's make a clean version of my album for the charts we have trash like honey Bin dip clean versions of albums Bin T- honey dip is a terrible song um yeah man look i i think the only thing that saves it for me is the mid-2000s production but again i it's like catnip to me i love that so i don't think that that makes it a good album Jim Jones had struck a chord despite all this. The album was released independently and it charted number one on the independent chart, 350K in a short period of time. And it set him up for a run at a hit single, which we then got with his next album. His next album is, yeah, well, We Fly High. What, wait, wait, what? No, no, no. I mean, his next album is Hustlers uh, P-O-M-E and the song is, you okay. know, his, his hit song, the, the hit song. Uh, the hit song. Okay. Well, feel free to get in that. But like, uh, th- this is my thing. Actually, is that I've I when when I was listening to these in very quick succession, I was just I I was just overwhelmed by just the the amount of the amount of uh uh, uh messages in my head saying I ain't listening to this ever again. <laughs> I I just I I have no reason to ever listen to this again. That's 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 why I'm that's how I'm that's how I'm flying to use to use parlance, right? That's how I'm flying. I'm flying the fuck out of here after this. I'm just like, nope, I'm good. Um This is egregiously long, seventy six minutes, um, twenty tracks. I I just <sighs> Jesus Christ, it's just it's just so so much max B <laughs> It's so jarring. It's like balling every two seconds. It's like a fucking. It's like it's like mid two thousands West Side Gun level of, of ad libbing. It's just it's it's egregious. It's egregious levels of ad libs. 
Um, at, le- at least Westside Gun makes it fun. Just do chat and balling all the time. It's just, ay, ay, ay. Um, I will say this as a as not a Lil Wayne fan. Lil Wayne Ooh. is the only feature I like on here. <laughs> I was gonna say that's, that's, that's how bad this album. As is a collector's be. item for you guys, far that, out. That's, yeah, <sighs> there you go, guys. Ding! Finally, after two hundred and eleven episodes, I have said something positive about Lil Wayne. There you go. Um, I like his feature on Weatherman. After that, in in the bin, just in the bin. I I don't. I just. This is egregiously long. I could not. I I could not understand why there are the even the placement of the voicemail skits don't make sense to me. I'm just like, why why are these even here on ten and twelve track it, it, track tw- ten and twelve? Just just didn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, man, I just I just oh, it's exhausting. It's, it was such. It's so exhausting to listen to these 2000 R songs that go on for fucking eons 5 minutes 24 503 416 445 424 the rest of them were under three minutes, but it's just—it's just such a—it's such a mission to listen to. Uh, that's all I get from it. It's just such a mission. I'm just like, damn! Like, give me some, give me something, man. Like, give me something different. It's just, and, and these three albums have been pretty much the same all around. And I'll say this: he got past the two-pack allegations finally. It actually, sounds like, but then again. <clears throat> He just sounds like every dude trying to do, po- you know, just nearly post-Bling era raps. I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do with this. I just, I don't know what to do with what have you given me here. It just, it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't entice me in any fashion. It just comes off as laborious, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, man, it's just, it's just it's, it's fucking labor, uh, labor laborious to listen to, really, really. The perfect word for it. Just like yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just pop rap, man. It's just like. It's, I mean, it's look. Not even, it's not even like good pop rap either. It's not like. like it's not like Nelly. It's no, not, it's not Nellyville. It's not Nellyville. Like, it's not Nellyville. <laughs> it's not like. It's not Haymar, is it? Not perfect, perfect. It's not Haymar. It's not that one with the fabulous and Ashanti. It's not that. Like there's, there's, there's been, there's, there's those. There's Fab those can do 2000s it. Two thousands tracks that just yeah. work, and they last. I can listen to Haymar right now, and I'll still jam to it. But that's only because it kind of has a nineties spin on it. Let's be real. It has this nineties feel to it. That's why we listen to that. Same with the fabulous track in some ways. This is just so painfully mid two thousands. And yeah, and that's uh, that's why it grinds me. Obviously, personally, as a not fan of mid two thousands mainstream hip hop, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's so mainstream. It's it, it's so obvious. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the the big single, the big single number five on the Hot One Hundred. Um, you know, this song was everywhere. Jim Jones sold Complex. They actually recorded it in Miami first, and then they moved up to finish the song in New York. He said that uh, 
he told an interviewer basically that Ballin, he had a deadline to make and the label was on his neck. And he says this, he says, I remember yes, it like yesterday, I had did a record with them franchise boys with the finger snap music that was popping real big. Uh, it was actually to the ball and beat. It was a good beat, a beat I could probably get into the clubs with. I told them, bring that record back up with the deadline being on my ass. I took them franchise boys off and I played the hook out. I remember when Nelly and Diddy had a song, they were going back and forth with the girls. I was like, I want to get the girls and the guys involved. I started fucking with the hook. I came back to New York and I called my man. He sent me his, uh, you know, I don't know why that's cut out there, but he sent someone down to sing the girl part of the hook. It started sounding good from there. I put it out and Flex led the torch on that. He brought that record to life. So Jim Jones just made that song to fill his quota to get his album out on time and secure his million dollar check, as he said, from the label. So the song actually got so big, the New York Giants were incorporating it into their moves on the field. Maybe even wilder is he does not like the song himself, he says. Um, he said he actually said, I hate that song. The record makes me cringe. But I don't understand why he would hate that song. Like He says it's because it, it's similar to what we've said on this pod a few times where it's his biggest song, so he feels like he's been defined by that song. Not because he thinks the song is cringe or it's lame, but because he feels like he, similar as we said with other people, he feels like he's done bigger things in his life or done you know more important things, and everyone just focuses on this song. Um, but you know, you think about this, how crazy this song is. Think about Jay Z, for example. Like Cameron took him off Oh Boy, and so Jay Z threw numerous bars at him on Kingdom Come, um, and then Jay Z just hops on this beat, like just turns it into his own song, like. That he would not have done that if Jim Jones was not at the absolute pinnacle at that point. Like we're talking about him in retrospect right now. I remember this when it was happening, and it was massive. This song was if a song made it to Australia, it was either by Jay Z, Snoop Dogg, Fifty Cent, or Eminem, or it was massive. And that's exactly what it was, and it was huge. And Jay Z, it was so big that Jay Z was like, "I'm going to remix this and turn this into my own song." You know, so it's just pretty epic. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty epic. But the album is just, I don't know. I think it's okay. Um, you know, Max <laughs> B's all over the record. Uh, Lil Wayne, as 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 Charlie said, okay, he's carrying a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a load bearing. Okay, that. Ben, it has pin the tail on there. Okay, no album is That's good. That's horrible. It has song. Pin the tail. Okay. Jesus Christ, that 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 song. You know what? Sorry to interrupt. That song is the most god tier of horrible tracks. I, I, it's absolutely outstanding how bad it is. Like it sounds like he he said, "I want a contemporary New York club banger. I want the clubs to spin this one to death. I want I want every DJ in New York to go." Time for that new Jim Jones. And then they put on Pin the Tail. That's what he wanted out of that track. And then he decided to have a hook that literally tells them to pin the tail on the donkey. Ben, I went to my boy's niece's fifth birthday party and we played Pin the Horn on the Unicorn. Okay? That's what that song reminded me of. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you talking about something that kids do at birthday parties? 
It's so utterly cringe. It's absolute cringe. Fuck that song especially. <laughs> I, I, I felt my brain melting listening to that 2000 ass track. Oh, cringe. Ugh. Oh, I dare someone to play that in a club. I dare someone. Please. That would be funny as fuck. Hilarious. Hilarious if I ever got played in the club. Turn this shit off. Pin the tail. Oh, God. All right. Sorry. I interrupted. No, I mean, I don't know what else to say. The, the, I, did, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to get to the next album without talking about that track because I nearly forgot. I, it, I nearly missed it. I was like looking at it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, had, to, I had to bring it up. I forgot. Yeah. Well, God damn. I think that's a good place to end. I would just say the skits, are, <laughs> the skits are intolerable. I, I agree. The skits are intolerable. Pray for rain. Pray for rain. Another era of uh, hip-hop that... Um, uh, was kind of lacking, had a bit of an identity crisis, I feel. Um, and Jim Jones just ran fucking headfirst into that particular identity crisis. 2009, a very just uh, odd time where the only person that actually made music that made sense in terms of mainstream for me was like, Maybe like Lady Gaga. <laughs> That's the only one I can think of. Or like when I think of 2009, I think of the fame. And I'm not even a Lady Gaga fan, but I'm, all I hear is mum, 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 ma. That's all I hear. Um, poker face. Yeah, poker face. Carry my, carry my. No, you can't read my <laughs> poker face. Bang on. Bang on. Tune. And. And uh, the fact that the that came out in a similar time this is hilarious to me listening back so funny so utterly funny this album comes in a another laboriously long 74 minute clock time seven 16 tracks and features another artist where i have to throw out allegations again because why the fuck does NOE sound like Jay-Z? It's really weird. He sounds like an AI-generated Jay-Z. Like a poorly AI-generated Jay-Z. I was listening to it, literally going, did Jay-Z, did, did something happen? And I was looking at the track list, I was like, who the fuck is he? <laughs> I was so confused. I was utterly confused. And the jarring thing is, he's on here several times. He's on one, two, three... Four times. Oh, and it's so painful. It's just so weird. I love This Is For My Bitches, where Jim Jones at the start of the track goes, I'm sorry for calling you women bitches, and then proceeds to play a track called This Is For My Bitches, where Oshi sings the hook, and it's funny as hell. And not in a, fu- not in a good way. It's just It's funny, but it just made me laugh at how just why (laughs) it wasn't witty at all it is i don't even know if that was the point but it just it just didn't come across as anything and yeah this this album just come goes it just takes a weird turn at some point right so you have like you know pulling me back right and how to be a boss with luda with a decent luda verse in there right and and then it just gets into like precious with ryan leslie this is for my bitches, girlfriend, this is the life. I don't mind this is the life, actually. It wasn't bad. But it's just it just goes into like this R&B realm. And 
I don't know why it does. It it confuses me a lot. It's a very confusing album, let's just say that. But then you end up ending this whole thing with one of the worst closing tracks I've ever heard, where again, they're using kid shit for a track. Why are you talking to me on the last track of your album saying na 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 na? Grow up. Grow the fuck up. It's just, it's it's embarrassing at this point. You're pinning tails on donkeys and you're going na 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 na. It's just, it, it's, it's not hit. It's not hitting. It's just not hitting. It doesn't make sense. It was a, it was just such a, oh, it's just such a, a, a lead fucking pipe to the face of a finish. It was so jarring. It's just like, why am I, ha- why am I, why are they singing na 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 to me? It's just so cringe and childish and oh it's just utterly grim just to listen to it's horrible but yeah this this album has a whole identity crisis to it i don't know what what the concept is here i I don't it it goes into this r&b realm halfway through and then you have something like pop champagne i'm i'm sorry i don't know what the fuck to do with this album anymore it's just it just it 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 don't know. It doesn't even know what it wants to do as an album. I don't. I don't know what the what the end goal here. What's the overall? What's the moral of this particular thing? I don't. I don't have one. I don't have an answer. Put a gun to my head. I have no answer to what this album is about. What it's supposed to do. Uh, is it supposed to make you, you know, bump in the whip? Is it supposed to make you want to deals? Is it supposed to make you want to hit? I don't know. Don't know what it wants to do and whatever it wants to do. Uh, it does it very poorly, and yeah, just uh, yeah, zero for four. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, oh, well from shit. from here from here, Jim Jones is working on his label Bird Gang. He dropped the album Mob, which featured his younger associates, including Mel Matrix, Stack Bundles, Rest in Peace, and Noe. Um, actually, charted number 25, 29 Sorry, on the Billboard two hundred, it was reviewed pretty well. All things considered, you know the whole boot, Bird Gang movement was starting to move onwards. You know, um, he kind of had help from Max B in setting the collective up. Max B told an interviewer in twenty twenty, it was this tension around the creative uh, creation, sorry, of Bird Gang that split the friends up. Um, Max B said, "I think two egos were just coming together, two big personalities. I wasn't there for that. I was just happy to be involved." Um, the beef actually endures to this day, the disagreement. So during this period also, uh, Jim Jones was flooding the market with mixtapes and there was genuine hype for this album. Um, he'd signed a Columbia Records, dropped four singles in preparation for it. Uh, Frenemies was the final single and it was the most salacious, de- detailing the breakdown in his friendships with Max B and Cameron and the demise of Dipset. Joel's never left though. He pops up multiple times as does Ludacris, uh, Rel, previously Rock of Rockefeller, which was interesting. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, I think to prove to just how wild the 2000s were, and before this episode started, I was like, Jim Jones is the most unlikely of pop rappers. I didn't, I didn't, I've never listened to these albums. I didn't expect these albums to just be straight up pop rap. But he was actually rumored to have a remix to MGMT's Smash Electric Feel on the album. That's how pop rap this was at this point. We're at a point where Jim Jones was remixing popular electronic dance tracks. Like, that's just what he was doing. And, you know, 
you have to remember what happened after Rockefeller. Jay-Z went on to become the president of Def Jam, but on the other side of that was Harlem, was Dame Dash, Cameron, Jim Jones. The most overt part of this whole episode should be Jim Jones' dedication to Harlem. And, you know, interviews and songs from Jones, Cam, and Dash confirm that uh, Harlem does not lose. They, you know, this is this is me just saying this. What the way that they've talked about it. You know, Jay Electronica even said in 2010, "I've got to shine. It's in my blood. I mean, I'm a Harlem kid." So it's all about. And you watch interviews with Dame Dash. Dame Dash is like Harlem. Harlem people don't lose. They 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 just succeed. They win. So Jim Jones couldn't really fail at this point. Dame Dash would not allow it. So the two worked very closely on the promotion of the album. And Dame Dash was enlisted to help with the production of a hip-hop play entitled Hip-Hop Monologues Inside the Life and Mind of Jim Jones. Now, the play was to be co-written by Jim Jones, and the music from this album would be the platform for it, and it worked. A bunch of actors were employed to play different roles in Jim Jones' past, and Jim Jones performed the songs live during a two-day-only show run that actually sold out not just to fans, but media and celebrities. And the show was such a success, they actually performed another show on January 1, 2009. Um, so he, there was a freaking hip-hop play, a hip-hop musical attached to this album. That's how big. Jo- Jim Jones even partnered with iTunes to add a countdown to Jim Jones's Pray for Rain clock on iTunes. That's how big this was, man. This wasn't... Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm getting mixed messages here. This is This is not what I expected from Jim Jones' episode. And the reviews are quite funny. A lot of reviewers lament Jones's lack of star power for someone thrust so quickly into the mainstream bright lights. The XXL review lists off all the features that bested him on the album. And I think the comparison with Ludacris is probably the most apt. You know, Luda, of course, had ascended far higher than Jim Jones at this stage. But in 2009, uh, you know, we weren't to know he'd already hit his commercial peak. I was bumping Jim Jones stuff in 2009, even though I was a Jay Z fanatic. That's how like, I was. I was playing We Fly High, No Light. Like Jim Jones is freaking everywhere now. Putting him next to Luda on this track showed Jim Jones was it's not there, not there, not even remotely close. You know, like yeah, I, that's all I'm gonna say. Like juxtaposing i think i think jim jones having all these features on his albums i think it probably helped his sales significantly but i don't think it helped his development as a rapper like when you put him next to lil wayne or you put him next to Ludacris, or you put him next to jewels you put him next to cameron he gets rinsed every time like he absolutely gets rinsed and that was what the critics were saying about this record they were saying that they they wished upon jim jones a little bit more charisma um and it didn't quite suit him. This this commercial lane didn't quite suit him. But he'd been in it for so long by this point. It was like he couldn't... F- it, it, this was it. He had to do this. It felt like he had to create this album. Um, and yeah, man, I just... It's poor. I had to turn this one off. I couldn't... I, just, I got through it eventually. But like, I just couldn't do it, man. This is just... This was... I think this was his worst album. But... but, but it doesn't make sense where critics or or journalists or whatever are talking about like you know they're wishing for this and you know hoping for this but we're four <coughs> we're four albums in what what you ain't got your answer yet are you serious what are we doing here like and yeah you know i get it the you're saying all these things about how he had you know just a <coughs> a big banner ad on itunes and all this stuff and 
I'm hearing a lot of marketing, but I'm not hearing a lot of end product. And I'm just wondering why, and uh, as you say, this is commercial peak. So, you know, commercially it goes down from here. But funny enough, quality goes up, as we, uh, as is going to be evidence later on. But um, but in the middle of that, there's Capo. There's Capo 2011. And it has this just, it's just this midpoint. It's a very interesting... The the, the 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 length from you know the first four albums this this feels like a bridge it feels like a bridge album where he's trying to like it's like um it's like a smoker trying to wean themselves off you know he's he's trying to actually you know not be mid for once you know what i mean he's like he's ah, he's trying he's 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 really trying i can feel it i can feel this attempt here just didn't get there this time. Just didn't get there for me on this one. Didn't get there. You've, you'd think, again, this is this is reminiscent of the first couple albums. You'd think, on paper, they're having Game on Carton of Milk, having Raekwon on Drops Is Out, having Cameron again, having Lloyd Banks and Prodigy on one track, Having Ashanti on one track, having Wyclef on one track, and Nicole Ray at the end of it, you'd think this would be good. But somehow it's not. It does it again. He d- five out of five in just. You think it's going to be alright, but it's not. I will say, again, going back to my initial point, there is an attempt here of like trying to just switch things up a little bit. It doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like a complete mainstream, you know, I'm going for the, I'm going for the, I'm going for the charts kind of thing, right? Um, you, you, you're not, Wyclef and, you know, while I love me some Ashanti, you know, forever my queen, right? You're not, you're not, you're not getting Ashanti for a chart out for, you know, a chart album, quote unquote, or a mainstream album at 2011. You're just not, you're just not doing that, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, man. Regardless of that, it's just uh, yeah. Even even those tracks, they just don't work for me. Like changing the locks of the shiny doesn't work. God bless the child doesn't work for me. Um, Wyclef doesn't really need to be there to be honest. Uh, game on carton of milk, eh, eh. But you know, I'm just not a fan of game to be fair. Um, there's another logic apparently. Lamont Logic Coleman, shout out to him. Um, <laughs> there's there's who knew there was more than one logic. Uh, but yeah, I. Just, I don't know, man. Just uh, you you think it'd be good, and then uh, just uh, you think this would be the one, and it didn't happen. I will say it's massively short time. It's just fifty one minutes, so it didn't come out as uh, completely just uh, you know, needing to stop and then come back to it. Um, you could you could uh, potentially knock it out in one go, uh, without too much uh mental friction. But yeah, it's just a uh, it, it's a. Uh, Looks good on paper, but um, yeah, when you just end up listening to it, uh, just uh, falls flat once again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, number twenty on the Billboard two hundred came out independently. The New York Times the fact actually that it's still charting, bro. Like, yeah. The fact that all of this has been charting is so fucking us. It's actually there. There there needs to be like scientific grants given out. To ha- and and re we need we need academic papers on how this happened, 
Genuinely. I mean, you're gonna write one, aren't you? You're doing the two thousands. <laughs> um. Yeah. 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 The documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Documentary's happening. Yeah. 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 The two thousands is fucking weird. The Jim Jones episode. How did he chop? There's such mid music episode. So you know, the New York Times actually t- said he was outrapped by all of his guests, which is pretty wild oh. feat. Um. Big on the seen... New York Times for even just getting on it, to be fair. Yeah. I, I, you... I haven't seen the New York Times review of any of his stuff until now, but yeah, okay. Well, I don't think Big the up. New York Times ever reviewed Pusha T. So I think Ooh, that... Got him. <laughs> so, yeah, look, again, this I, I wrote this here. This was another chart grab from an artist well past his chart-grabbing days. And that's Ouch. just how it felt Ouch. to me. You know, I, I think, you I know... I feel the... like I tried to give him a leg up there, but okay. Yeah, well, the reviewer, yeah, you did. I didn't, I didn't feel, I felt differently. Um, I don't know, man, like, I don't know. It's, just, it's the same thing, content-wise, we're yet to see any appreciable growth or development from Jim by Capo. Um, the paper, Let Me Fly, Getting to the Money, Drops is out. It's kind of odd to me that of all the Dipset members, Jim Jones would become the most generic. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Just everything up until this point, like... Yeah, anyway, we get Wasted Talent. That's his next project. Oh, you moved on so fucking fast. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I don't want to be making, <laughs> Moved you know. on so fucking fast. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. We, I mean, we're, uh, well, we're nearly uh, 80 minutes into this, so yeah, let's wrap it up. Um, but yeah, Wasted Talent. Um, uh, better. Just suddenly. Just, just out of the blue, suddenly better. Suddenly, I'm actually listening to a Jim Jones album I could actually potentially listen to some other day. Uh, you know, not out of one and two, but if someone put it on, I wouldn't say turn this year off. Um, yeah, it just, I don't know. Just uh, it comes out fine. I I didn't I didn't mind it. Uh, not a fan of Trav as a uh, as a feature. Um, just that was just not great for me. Um, but yeah, man, just Dustin Powder with Jada Kiss was decent. Never did three quarters. I liked. Um, Living my best life with Eric Bellinger, like that. Uh, Adidas with Ball Greasy, out. Well, weird name, Ball Greasy. Um, but good track regardless. There's some good. Tra- there's some good tracks on here. Deeper Man Community with Cameron. Didn't mind that. Uh, so yeah, man. There's some. You know, it's, it's it ain't you know nothing to write home about. But shit, man. It's it's a project that I can actually say I didn't mind. It's fine. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> After six albums. <laughs> I mean, he got there, right? It's finally fine. It's finally good. <laughs> I'm six glad times think, the charm. I'm we did it, guys. That way. It. I, I agree. Big up, Look, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's often spoken <laughs> that artists have stages in their career. You know, I think the best ones do. The gold standard for this, of course, is Dave Bowie, for example, someone who reinvented himself so many times since Space Oddity. Um, you know, and Space Oddity would div- would like, you know, dwarf most people's careers, but he kept moving and it actually felt like a footlo- footnote rather than a headline. And I think that Jim Jones started head in this direction finally. Wasted Talent is immediately more dense just in concept in general. Um, Jim Jones actually told Billboard, the album title is a play on the movie A Bronx Tale. I encourage all my youngsters that think it's dope to be a gangster to watch it. You will get some perspective on what it is to have morals inside of this game. One of the lines. That's what the, all the outros were. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Instantly. Well, yeah. Improved. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the lines. 
Jim Jones says one of the lines in the movie is the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And Jim Jones continues. He says, where I'm from, we see that all too often. We know a person who's probably wasting their talent. Um, but there are a lot of people that bounce back and figure out how to turn a negative situation into a positive. So, you know, uh, Hip Hop DX led their review with the headline, Wasted Talent is CPR for traditional NYC rap. So, you know, they identified Jim Jones as the most consistent and most improved member of Dipset. And this record is a glimpse into what El Capo would be in 2019, but a depiction of a whole other side to Jim Jones. We knew he was capable of dropping something that stood up against you know, these kind of albums from underground New York rappers, but, you know, the, the pop rap just overtook everything, but here we go, we're back now with this album, and obviously then we get El Capo. Yeah, I think I remember you listening to this, uh, talking about it, and uh, reason Gassing enjoying it. it. Uh, come again? I gassed it up. Yeah, you gassed it up, yeah, and uh, you know I agree. I get again a, a decent album. Um, it's got some decent stuff on here, uh, apart from Trav. <laughs> just really, I just really don't like whenever Trav's on it, uh, on these on these uh things. But yeah, man, NYC with uh, fuck. Am I about to praise Fat Joe? Shit, my my I might I might I might to praise Fat yeah, Joe. Like I'm, I'm not I wasn't too wasn't too wasn't too, I wasn't too uh. Uh, grieved by it. Uh, good die young. Great state of the union with fucking hell. He's bringing out Rick Ross shit, and I'm enjoying Rick Ross. Fuck, who knew? Crazy, crazy world we live in. Okay, um, this is outstanding. Um, in, in terms of you know, in terms of me reasonably praising Rick Ross and Fat Joe. Um, yeah, Pity in the summer. Love that track. Really good track. Uh, Mama made it. Uh, to whom it may concern with Cam. Benny Conway, currency on sports, uh, sports cars. I wasn't a fan of the production on that one, but I did like the rest of it. Um, don't know what they took him for with Jada Kiss on there. There's some decent stuff on here, um, especially in the mid, mid, mid part of the album. Um, but yeah, man, just la di da, just out of nowhere, just blossoming, actually becoming half decent. And I feel like that's more just because of the climate that has changed because like I said before in near, near the, when we started talking about him I feel like he followed trends and this particular trend we're in now where underground is a little bit more uh uh well accepted some people wouldn't call it underground anymore because of that right uh but you know having the likes of you know Benny and Conway and all these lot kind of being G's, but also being vulnerable as well and being able to do that, I feel like gave Jim the license to do the same and actually talk about real shit instead of just stop instead of just talking about the most mundane two thousands fucking shit I could ever think of. Um, but with this and wasted talent, it he's finally actually getting to a point where oh right i can actually make something that has some depth and it doesn't have to and it i don't know if he's res fine with the fact that it won't like you know be on the 18 on the billboard charts anymore whatever but um at least artistically he's actually developing finally after fucking nearly a decade but uh yay 
clap it up. Like I've ro- I've roasted him all episode, but you know, finally, finally, well, got, mean, we're getting somewhere. You gotta remember that after after Capo came out, or it might have been the one prior, Pray for Rain. Jim Jones then went on his. He was loving hip hop. I mean, that was Jim Jones. Like oh, he was a... fucking hell, really? Oh, okay. Oh yeah, like that's the other side of it that I'd forgotten about, yeah, really, because you know I've I've it. never really watched Love and Hip Hop. I watched like a couple yeah. episodes here and there, very rarely. But I have seen episodes with Jim Jones in them, and I forgot that he was. You know, that was his thing. He he went into reality TV. There was even a. Hang on, let me pull it up. There was even a, t- a reality TV show based around him and his partner at one point. Um, his filmography. Here we go. He was in a few movies, uh, but you know that's that was in the mid two thousands. That didn't happen. And then he was in Wild and Out, Love and Hip Hop New York, Chrissy and Miss Jones. So they had their own uh, their own TV show. And then he was on Marriage Boot Camp. Um, so you know this, that was Jim Jones. Like he was. He was pop. He was mainstream. But that's why El Capo makes so little sense, especially as it's the only Jim Jones album I'd really listened to before we did this episode. So coming into this episode, I was very curious. The whole thing for me was I love this album. I think El Capo is an incredible project. I think it's freaking brilliant. I think it perfectly sums up the sound of the underground today, even though it was 2019 at the time. Um, it's just brilliant, man. I think Jim Jones's hooks are great. His flow is incredible. Cam hop pops up on a few songs. I don't think he outraps Jim. I think that this is the best Jim Jones has ever rapped consistently on a consistent basis. Um, so you know, when I listen to this album and I begin this episode with that in mind, I'm like, yeah, Jim Jones has got classics under his belt. No, like this was the only album that's really like this, apart from Wasted Talent. It's just unbelievable. But now that I look back and look at you know, loving hip hop and reality TV. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I mean, that makes more sense having listened to his previous records. But, you know, even though El Capo was his last studio album, it was not his most recent project. Um, he dropped the Lobby Boys with Mano in 2022, and that was horrible. You would have listened to me on this pod talk about all these projects because I came into the Jim Jones world in 2019. So I've listened to everything from 2019 onwards, but nothing prior. And that's why I was like, wait lobby boys makes no sense because it was really poppy and you know even that tr- that album he did with uh dj drama um he did it this year maybe even oh no it was 2022 i think um oh no back at my prime back in my prime dropped this year i listened to that and there was just like r&b love songs on there and i'm like this is horrible what 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 is this this is not el capo like this doesn't make sense why he's doing this kind of music but having listened to his prior records it makes perfect sense so yeah, man, I don't understand. Like, hopefully he continues in the El Capo reign, but I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting. Very interesting discography. Yeah, we only do uh, studio albums for this, um, but I I agree. Like having having some form of knowledge on the projects outside of that uh, tells you a lot. Where. It adds context for sure. Uh, whereas if you just went off El Capo, you would have gone like, "Oh yeah, Jim Jones is finally decent now." But yeah. you know, go 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 deeper, and you'll find. And you'll find. Yeah. <sighs> it's he, he's he, he's he's not always. Uh, he has he still has shit moments. And uh, honestly, I asked this question to finish up. I'm gonna ask this question, and I need to preface it with the fact that <clears throat> I I I don't care. 
about the marketing side. I don't care about the fashion trends that he either, you know, uh, pushed forward or completely, you know, uh, leaded, etc., etc. I'm simply talking from a music perspective when I ask this. Um, why is Jim Jones even relevant? I mean... I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you are struggling for an answer, isn't it? That's crazy. To be, fair, to be fair to me, I'm struggling in general. I've, I've, I'm, I'm not in... crickets. I can, barely, I can barely get a sentence out today. I don't know if people are realising this, but I'm stumbling over my words. But, you know, I, I think even if I had all my, you know, cognitive capabilities that I normally do, I, I think I'd, I'd struggle. I mean, I, look, I don't personally know because I don't... I don't think the pop rap he was making was any good. I don't think that that music... I don't know why they kept pouring money into it. I don't know why... It, it kept charting, so people obviously liked it. But I guess that's why he's relevant now, is because he built himself up commercially to such a level where he could then move into reality TV and become a personality in his own right, become someone that... You know, if you're in Love & Hip Hop, if you're on these kind of TV shows, people are enamored with you they see you every single week you know they're sitting down to dinner with their family watching you you become part of their lives so i that's why i think jim jones is probably still relevant but yeah sure say sorry i don't think they're family shows but yeah sure you know what i mean like maybe sitting down with (laughs) sitting down with your partner or you know after a long week to to watch the new love and hip-hop episode so i think that's why he's still relevant i think that's why people still want to hear from jim jones because he's become part of their lives and but by sheer brute force i will give him that respect a hundred percent like i don't think he was i don't think he was gifted with natural rapping talent i don't think he was gifted with a naturally musical ear i think that he just kept pounding away at the door he kept you know dropping mixtapes and dropping product and dropping singles and doing videos and you know, he just worked insanely hard for a long period of time, and he deserves his place. He absolutely deserves it. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it or he shouldn't be there, uh, but it's just a bit perplexing to me to hear El Capo and then go back in time and listen to those albums and be like, wow, this is completely different. This is not what I expected. Does he, though? Uh, does he what? Uh, does he deserve it? Like, yeah, I mean, he worked hard. He's there. Like, I, I, I don't see Jim Jones... I, well, you know, I, look, there are way less deserving. So there are way saying. less deserving people. There are people who are f- just there purely through label manipulation, through algorithm oh, manipulation. Course. I don't think yeah, Jim sure. Jones was. Yeah. I don't think he was the number one. You know, Cam was always number one, and Jewels was always you know number two. It was never Jim Jones. He wasn't the one that people were okay. like, "This is the guy's so, going to blow up." You know, <laughs> famous number threes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like there, there's, there's not many. there's not many deserving number threes where like people actually give a shit it just doesn't make sense like and you know ending with we started with the push t shit because we obviously did this as a catalyst for it but honestly i listened to him talking the fact listening to him talk about it was funny at the time right this was a couple of weeks ago right and now that i've listened to the music oh i'm just like you have zero right to talk i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry you have zero right to talk yeah i agree i've listened to your shit bro and it's it's wildly just a outdated and b just 
Oh, I don't know, Chief. You know what he actually said? Even then, he said, bro. I'm f- name five Pusha T songs. Na- d- tell Charlie, name, name, name five Jim Jones songs. Right. <laughs> Pin the tail, bro. Sheesh, bro. Geez, I'm serious. Honestly, like, I, I, you know, man, it's crazy. Like, say what you want about Push. Like, I, and I know people, I know people that say the exact same shit about Pusha T. He raps about the same thing every time. It's fucking good, though. Yeah, he so does I can't, well with it. I can't say much. It's good. I don't know what to tell you. He makes coke selling fucking enjoyable to listen to. What can I don't know what to tell you. I really don't know what to say to push a haters. I'm sorry. He's just fucking good at it. He's really fucking good. He has a niche. He's fucking great at it. And he, and he rides it till the wheels fall off. The wheels haven't fallen off yet. So why stop? Jim Jones, however, uh, shit, man. Like it was, it was dead on arrival for me. Dead on arrival. Like even the f- most recent studio albums, like you know, they're passable, they're good. But you know, it's not. There's a sea. It's the same in the two thousands. There's a sea of albums. There's a sea of artists I would rather listen to doing the exact same thing as Jim Jones that I'd rather listen to than Jim Jones. At least pushes the number one Coke dude. At least there's that. You know what I mean? Like, at yeah. least he can say I'm number one in this. Uh, it just doesn't... Uh, it's jarring. It's jarring. And this may, it made me, like... It made this retrospective just even more just, like... Uh, infuriating in some ways. Where I'm, I'm listening to this shit and I'm like... And this dude doesn't... Thinks Pusha T's overrated. Like, who the fuck are you, dude? Like, that's crazy to think about. It's absolutely wild to me. But you know, we've ha- we kind of had this. This kind of bleeds into the conversation we had in the anniversary episode. Where we were talking about hip hop personalities and if they have the you know the right to talk about you know certain people or the right to talk at all. But that's hip hop media for you. And you know, it kind of bleeds into that. So I'll 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 leave it at that. But fuck yeah. one experience, one experience. No, I'm glad that. I'm glad that we came to the same conclusion at the end of that episode, because uh, yeah, I thought I thought you were gonna go completely the other way. Every time I've heard you talk about Jim Jones, you'd be like, "I love his Jim Jones." I'm like, "Oh, fuck. yeah." Now you know, but that's now you know why that is. Because <laughs> I don't listen to El Capo. I don't listen to anything else. <laughs> yeah, you don't listen to anything uh, pre-wasted talent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now I'm like, uh, I'm yeah. listening through this, and I'm like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> What if I walk? You into? came back down the fucking earth. You must have crashed back down here it at was, POME. Fuck it, it was up. it was a reality check. <laughs> yeah, because I thought, check. and the thing was, I thought I was going to really enjoy these albums. So like, I kind of saved them up to listen to. You know, when I was trying to chill or, you know, <laughs> maybe taking a little bit of cannabis, and I'm like, this is going to yeah, be sure. this is going to be nice. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. No, 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 not not in the slightest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, end up was... like that. That was a smart idea then, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll finish there. We've got long enough. Uh, yeah, that was that was that was outstanding. Uh, I wanted to like know. I wanted to. I wanted to gush over the uh, the Beyond the Streets uh, exhibition that is currently going on at the Sachi Gallery in London. Um, I wanted to gas about it, but for the sake of time, I'm just gonna go ahead and say. Um, big up everybody involved on that particular exhibition. Um, it has been done in several other places. I think they did their first one in LA. They did one in New York just before COVID. They did like an online one during COVID. 
Um, and I think they're getting hit up to do, or they have done ones in Shanghai as well. So the whole Beyond the Streets thing is really global. For those that don't know, it's basically one big exhibition uh, celebrating uh, graffiti culture, um, street art culture, uh, and everything to do encapsulated within that. Uh, obviously, hip hop as well, punk in a lot of ways. There was a lot of uh, stuff dedicated to, like, you know, the Clash and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, graffiti culture isn't just, you know, what was done in New York, right? And uh, I, since I went to the London one, um, there was a lot of British um, representation there as well, uh, which I was very happy about. Uh, there was some amazing, just uh, amazing list of hip-hop artists, um, hip-hop, you know, graffiti artists, uh, street artists, obviously like the likes of Shepard Ferry and Futura 2000 and, uh, and and stuff like that. Um, but there was also, you know, fine artists that had their own, obviously, style, but they brought hip-hop into it. They brought graffiti culture and street art culture into it, and it was very well done. Um, a lot of mixtures, 13 rooms, uh, and it was just uh, every, every one I went to, I was just like... I just had to exhale and just go fucking hell. Like this, there's so much. There was so much good stuff there. Even even hip hop photography as well, uh, which I was a big fan of. Um, I'm gonna cop a few books off the back. Um, off off the back of this, um, got some good uh, recommendations, and uh, I also bought their official book. Um, for the Beyond the Street Statue Gallery as well, which is a 580 something page weapon of a book. Um, fucking heavy. And uh, I can't wait to crack into it. There's some really good stuff from the stuff I've already spun. Uh, but yeah, man, highly recommend if you're in the London area or in the UK and you feel like taking a trip to London, hitting up some uh, any of any of the stuff I've uh, mentioned, if it takes your fancy. Um, it's 25 quid general admission. Uh, I think it goes on till the end, just the start of May, like the first few, like the first uh, end of like the first week or second week of May. Um, so yeah, man, feel free to, feel free to go on it, um, get on it. Cause I highly recommend just the experience and, uh, you, you'll learn, you'll learn a whole lot. You'll learn a whole lot, um, about just all of that. <laughs> if you're like me and are woefully, um, uh, lacking the knowledge when it comes to stuff like graffiti and uh, street art as well so uh yeah big up the Sachi gallery once again they are two for two when i have visited um i visited obviously the bob miley exhibition last year uh, yeah man um i just wanted to big that up right quick and uh, give it some gas because um it's some really good stuff all over shout that out shout that out my only line of note is i went in uh Tottenham? I mean, <laughs> that's not light that's just <laughs> It was funny. We watched a game yesterday morning. The one time we go so far over, I I would love to talk about that. But yeah, this my dad, <laughs> my dad, yeah, my dad. Yeah, dad is, dad is, dad's week is not good. This I'm week. impressed, good but uh, I did go and pick up my uh, my jaffle maker from um, where it was being stored, <laughs> and so now I'm going to start making some jaffles. Man, I'm going to have some. What is jaffles for those that don't know? A jaffle is uh, it's like a toasted sandwich where you put like spaghetti or something in it or baked beans or something. And then you it seals. So it seals. It's not like a toasted sandwich that's open. The jaffle maker will seal the edges around. So you put two bits of bread on top of each other and then the crust gets sealed together. So whatever you put in the jaffle is housed within the jaffle. So you can put like, 
you can put pasta in it with pasta sauce and then you bite into it and you've got this fucking incredible piece of uh piece of snackery so i'm gonna i'm gonna be making some wild chaffles. wild culinary uh a hack, man. Over, over there down under um i remember having one of those like sandwich makers where they they, they, they seal off the sides and um yeah it was a good little contraption uh, i should bring it back but anyway ladies and gentlemen we shall leave it there from the fifth end podcast so work it's been digging digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I certainly have. I've been trying to take the fifth one. I haven't been part of hip hop numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always, always try and do the same. But sort of take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Mini Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to your music for the video to use. Socials for the development, by numbers, bonus points, and your music will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects for you to be listening. This has been a fifth podcast era production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. On digging in the digits.